Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. You're listening to Who Are You Dressing For? With me, your host, Kyle Duvall. Today's guest has really done it all. Number one albums, an amazing mother, fashion it girl, best-selling author, and now actress. There really isn't anything she can't do. I not only have the joy to call this person a client, she is also a very close friend whom I adore. Please welcome to the show, Miss Lily Allen. I am so excited to have this guest in today. Today on Who Are You Addressing For? We have the formidable talent, Miss Lily Allen. Hello. Welcome. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I can't complain. You're looking very chic today. Really? I thought you would be disappointed. No, my, I mean, we won't talk about the hairstyle, but I mean, the outfits. Ooh. Good. The outfit's good. Thank what are we you. wearing today? Let, let me guess. Could it be the row? My trousers are from the row, correct? And the little cashmere polo neck. I think this is Gabriella Hurst. Yeah, yeah, Gabriella yeah. Hurst. Quite old. I had one in black, but Makita Oliver stole it from oh. me. Oh, grey. Sorry, I lie. Typical of Makita. Yeah, she does like and to feed some of my clothes. Air Force. Air Force Ones, were all white, obviously. And some nice socks. Love. And my row handbag. Really nice. I love this handbag. It's a goodie, isn't it? It's like a green suede. suede. Mm. Don't get caught in the rain. And my gorgeous Jacques Marimage sort of aviator style. Glasses. It's a moment. Topped off by Masika Diamonds. Mm. Stunning, darling. Thank you. I try. So on Who Are You Dressing For? We take six, well, I've picked six looks from with throughout your life. Mm-hmm. Six moments. And yeah, let's just explore what was going on at that moment in time and who you were and what that look or moment meant to you. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> So first image is... Grim. I mean, that looks like, I think that's a school uniform. But how old were you there? What was going on? I think that is at a school called Edgar Lee Hall. I must have been 10 or 11. And I'm recording a song that they, every year the people in, in the music department would put out a CD, you know, with and everyone did a solo. So, you know, if people did piano, they'd do a piano solo. And I sang a song called Try to Remember, I think. And, yeah, it was like my first ever recording, I guess. What was childhood like for you? Did you always want to be in music? No. No, I didn't. I mean, I didn't... It was not something that was nurtured in me, for sure. I mean, I, you know, played, you know, piano at school and stuff, but I I was into musical theatre and I wanted to be in musicals at school. 
but I always would get a bad part. I had this teacher called Mrs. Rachel Santesto. And this woman, she was Canadian. She was really young. I was in the playground at school and I was singing um, along to Oasis songs on my Walkman. I was a bit of a loner at that time. So I was just singing on my own in the playground and she walked past and she was like, you have a good voice. Let me give you some lessons. And so she gave me singing lessons and we prepared a piece, a solo to sing in the parents' concert. And it was uh, a song called called um, Baby Mine, which is the song the mummy elephant sings to Dumbo. Baby mine, don't you cry. Yeah, so we, it was that song. And I sang it and it like brought the house down and i it was that it was in that moment that i was like oh i can get attention from doing something positive <laughs> like the rest the is history <laughs> uh so i think i was probably nine or ten when that happened okay, and then i left that school because that was where it finished at 11 and then i went to the school that you've just shown me the picture from and that was yeah i got a music scholarship there for singing and that's what i was doing in that picture so growing up obviously you're a middle child I am. It depends. I mean, yes, from my mother's children, my father's children. I don't know where I am on the spectrum. (laughs) (laughs) But growing up in your house with Alison, your mum, you were the middle child. Yes. So do you think you suffered from middle child syndrome? What does that mean? Middle child syndrome is like, obviously, we all know the youngest is the favourite because I'm the youngest. And then the eldest child is like the test dummy. Right. So, the so middle where does child, that leave us? Exactly. The middle child just kind of float, I feel, float through life. So they feel like they have to prove themselves a lot more than the younger child or the older child. Hmm. I don't know about that. I mean, my my sister was was like five, five or six years older than me. And she was quite, um, you know, not troubled, but she used to like to party, you know. So my mum was always worried about my sister. And my brother, you know, yeah, was the favourite. So... I don't know. I don't know if I went unnoticed. I think my mum would say that I was the easiest out of her kids. You know, she sort of didn't have to worry about me. I was very, like, tenacious and, like, kind of looked after myself and was very independent. And, you know, I always, like, cooked and I liked to keep my space clean. And, you know, I wasn't very good at doing homework or anything like that. I feel like most creatives aren't, though. I feel like you're either academic or you're creative. I mean, you're actually quite academic, so I take that back. But majority of creatives that I know kind of go one or the other. No, I mean, I always, that was always my report was like, Lily could do very well at this subject if only she applied herself. (laughs) Every report from every teacher for 15 years. What about teenage years? What were you like? Were you rebellious? Were you well behaved? No, I wasn't rebellious because to be rebellious, you have, there have to be some rules in place for you to be rebelling against. So I didn't have any of those. So, um... Uh, I think, you know, I was desperate to be older. I just wanted to be independent. I hung out with people that were a lot older than me, boys that were a lot older than me. Um, And I liked partying. I liked jungle music and drum and bass and and raves and festivals and dressing up. I mean, not much has changed there then. I don't really like to rave anymore. (laughs) We're going to carnival. I like like old boys. We're going to rave at carnival. (laughs) I like old men. All right, so you are obviously known, you know, first and foremost for your music. I'd say second, pla- a strong second place is your dominance within the fashion industry. When you did come out, you came out with such a strong look, which moves me on to picture number two. Yes. Like, where did that, which is you in um, your iconic, like, ball gown type dress with trainers mm. and gold jewellery, 
Where did that idea come from? Where did that image come from? No, to be honest, it wasn't very well thought out, but it did become like sort of quite synonymous with me. I think it's ultimately, it still is. I always it's still reference to this day. I'm very short, you know, I'm five foot two, and I wouldn't say that I have got but was blessed with like long, lithe legs. And at the time, it wasn't fashionable to be thicker. Um, and so, you know, the prom dress thing worked for me because it was like a cinched in waist and covered up my legs that I felt like were grotesque at the time. And I couldn't be bothered to wear high heels, so I just wore them with trainers. And I just sort of made that look my own. But it wasn't, like, contrived or, like, it was just what worked for me. Just accidental. Yeah. Now look at it, some constant (laughs) move forwards. My mum actually used to wear something similar, though, because, you know, in the punk era, it was quite... You know, that was sort of a thing that, that she would do was like she would wear these um, sort of like Victoriana dresses with big Doc Martin boots. So I guess that was like a sort of more modern version of that. A homage to mum. Yeah, it was like, um, you know, wearing different things in, and putting them together that wouldn't, wouldn't ordinarily be put together. I think that's a very West London thing as well. I think if you look at the whole of London and the different types of fashion and stuff that people have... Um, I think that West London is definitely like that when it comes to having a strong sense of self when it comes to dressing. Yeah, and also, you know, I think that, like, yeah, you're right. And, but but also growing up around the Portobello Road, like, obviously, uh, you know, the, the market that was there on Fridays and Saturdays was very much, um, you know, all of those sort of, like, vintage dresses, prom dresses. And then there was also a really strong focus on streetwear as well. So, yeah, you we'd go down there and buy all of those little bits with our pocket money. And, yeah, we didn't really know what think, think that what we were doing was fashionable. But, like, yeah, you'd buy a pair of trainers and I had a prom dress. So obviously, I was going to wear them both at the same time. So you never thought it was, <laughs> you never thought it was going to turn into the iconic image that it is today no, at the time? No, never. So where did the love of trainers stem from? Because they're just comfy on <laughs> But yeah, but some people love trainers, but you love trainers. Like your trainer collection is like extensive. Yes, it is. But also it's more that I like matching things with things. So I, you know, and I do like collecting stuff. And then I think that like different trainers say different things um, culturally. So like Reebok Classics was very synonymous with like raving and drum and bass. And then, you know, your Air Max was more sort of like hip hop and or grime, you know, Air Max 90s and stuff. So you could kind of like communicate with your trainers in some ways. But then also I would like to match, you know, colours that were in my dresses or whatever else it was that I was wearing with the colourways of the trainers that I was wearing and that, and with my nails as well. So I'd have an outfit that I wanted to wear to something, whether it was like a party or carnival or whatever, and I would match my dresses, trainers and nails. That was my thing. It's iconic. <laughs> so your early early career, you were one of the OGs of MySpace. You actually yeah. used MySpace to help you start your career. Mm-hmm. Basically, how did that all come around? What made you think, okay, I'm going to start releasing music on MySpace? Um, little known fact, it was actually an artist named Lady Sovereign. S-O-V. S-O-V. Um, yeah, I was, I can't remember why I was there, but I was in, the, in a party in the Met Bar. It must have been in, like, I guess, like 2003, 2004. And she knew that I was an artist somehow. I don't really know how. But she was She was like, You've got to, are you on MySpace? You've got to just try this thing out. And I set one up the next day. 
And I already had a record deal. So I, was, I had a deal with Parlophone at the time. And they had all of the demos that ended up on my first album, All Right Still, but they didn't think that it was an album yet. They weren't convinced that it was ready. Um, and it was only because of MySpace and me putting the songs on there um, and them gaining so many views that the record company were like, oh, oh, people like this stuff. Like People were baying for an album. They were like, come on, we want this record. Because I think you could put like 10 songs on there or something. And they were, you know, getting thousands and thousands and thousands of hits every day. Um, and so, yeah, and then put the first single out, went to number one, I think. And then um, rest is history. Literally. Which is your favourite album out of your four albums? My last album, No Shame. Yeah, No Shame. Did the worst commercially, but creatively, artistically, I feel like it's my best work and most honest work to date. Um, and... You know, I love it. I love, I mean, I really enjoyed performing it. I guess, you know, when I go on tour, you play your most sort of current work and then you throw in a bunch of stuff from the past, you know, the hits. Um, and I really, you know, I enjoyed doing the current stuff more than I do enjoy doing the old stuff. So we're going to move on to our third image. Okay. So this is obviously you are known as an OG fashion girl as well. So this is <laughs> one of, for me, one of your biggest fashion moments talk to me about this mm, that is me modeling uh in a chanel campaign for the coco cocoon range it was called which is a range for handbags that they did and that came about when i first came out with music um and i first started making money i spent my money on chanel handbags <laughs> and it was in the days where you know, photographers would follow you around and take paparazzi would take pictures. And if you worked in the, you know, for PR for Chanel, you would be getting these pictures of me with these handbags. And so the story goes that these pictures would end up on Karl Lagerfeld's desk and he'd be like, why are we sending this girl all these handbags? And they would say, we're not, she's buying them. And so he liked that that I actually bought into the brand um and they would invite me to shows and they started sending me stuff and then a few years into that um I was at a I'd been asked to DJ for them at a party in Paris for fashion week Kate Moss was there as well I think we went together and I went off to find the toilets and I couldn't find where I was and I got lost in the sort of maze of the upper echelons of the of the Chanel headquarters and I found myself in this room and it was just Virginie, who is now the head designer at Chanel and Carl. And I was in their little studio. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. And he went, no, 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 come in. And I'd seen the show earlier on in that day. And I was like, you know, didn't really know what to say. I was like, oh, I really love the show and I love the shoes that he made these shoes that had these little jade discs in them um, in the heel. And I was like, how do you do how do you? get them to the physics of them to not smash the jade disc and he was like I'll show you and he drew the shoe out and showed me the whole the way that the, the whole thing worked it was structured and we you know got into a conversation about it he was fascinating and you know started asking me a bunch of questions and then that was that and I said can you show me where the toilet is so he showed me where the toilet was and I went back down to go and do my job and then two days later I got a phone call saying will you be in the new campaign that's so iconic. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. 
So you also, so you, you're quite an honest person. You released your book, My Thoughts Exactly, where you kind of laid everything really bare. Um, you've never really been one to shy away from speaking your mind, which mm. I one of that um, attributes I really admire about you, to be honest. Um, how do you deal with the backlash? Because one thing I've realized, especially working with you, some, let's say some of the publications out there really go out of their way to just write negative stuff out of you, mm. about you consistently. And it's like, how do you deal with all that? I don't really know what the question is. I don't know how... I mean, it is what it is. It's something that I have no control over. I mean, I guess I do have control over it in that I could just stop talking and I could stop putting <laughs> things out there. But I don't really know how to do that. And I think that, you know, as an artist, it's your job to try and approach things honestly and make sense of the world and, you know, discuss your inner thoughts. And um, But so many people don't do that in this day and age. You know? Well, I can't speak for them. I can just speak for myself. And that's what... That's always been my approach. And sometimes, you know, like things get reprinted or spun in a certain way. And I think, oh God, why did I say that? And then I start beating myself up about it. And I'm like, oh, you're such a loud mouth. Why do you have to overshare so much? You're so embarrassing. And you do this to yourself. And it's like, actually, I'm not. Like, I'm just talking. I'm just sharing things that are not actually offensive. The way that they're spun is offensive. The way that things are presented are attention seeking or um rude and but then they're never usually that in their in their infancy so um i don't know how i deal with it i just like i just try not to let it get to me i think the world would be a lot nicer and a better place to be if everyone was a lot more honest mm. about their own thoughts and stuff and instead of running around like a bunch of sheep and just doing yeah I mean the thing is is that not all of our thoughts are pure you know like we do some of us are a little bit sick and twisted and you know we're not all perfect but I think people are so scared of 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 that being exposed and and how things are spun and I think sometimes that's a little bit like what they're doing with me is they're trying to make an example and say everyone shut up don't say anything because we we don't want the status quo to change. And so if you do say something, then you're going to be humiliated like we do with her. So just everyone be quiet. And I think it works. You know, I think that we have become quite sterile. You know, sometimes I was watching a movie the other day with my two little cousins. I was watching this movie called Election, which, you know, you definitely couldn't make that movie now. It's a movie with Reese Witherspoon and Matthew Broderick. And they were just like, wow, this movie's so out there. And I was like, well, it really wasn't. It does feel like we're in a, in a world now where everything has to be packaged in a certain way. It won't offend anyone, you know. So everything has to be just basically very middle of the road. Otherwise, someone's going to get offended and someone might get cancelled. And people just want to avoid that kind of negative attention. But I think that that negative attention sometimes is what makes us human. I also think with cancel culture as well, like... It's just so silly because it's like they're so selective with who actually gets cancelled and who doesn't. Like, obviously, like for people like R. Kelly and stuff like that, yeah, 100% you should get cancelled. But then when things happen, like the stuff that happened with Balenciaga, mm. it's like, okay, we can forgive you now because you've released the post, mm. even though what you did was 100% on purpose, in my belief. Mm. And it's like, it's very, they're like, I feel like the world is very selective on who they want to cancel and using this term cancel culture. When it's like, okay, if you're going to enforce it, enforce it fully. And 
Well, I don't think, I think that, you know, first of all, I don't know if I really buy into the whole cancel culture thing. I think that it's always existed. You know, now it's just that people are cancelled by people on social media because people, you know, lead the conversation, so to speak. Whereas 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it used to be the tabloids. They do this thing called monstering. And it was basically the same premise. You know, they did it with Paulie Yates. They did it with, you know, lots of different people. And so I think that that has always existed with us. I think that it's it's just an, a means to control, really. And, you know, people that wield power can do what they want, really. It, it seems as well, well, in my eyes, that women, especially in this country, take the full brunt of it. Like a man will get ridiculed for his behavior and stuff, but he'll never get ridiculed for being overweight or having a bad outfit or something like that. But whereas women are constantly dragged, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're not pretty enough, you haven't got on enough makeup. Oh, you're fake, you're overdone. Oh, you're not done enough. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like- I do know what you mean. I mean, I think, again, it's power. You know, women don't have the same power that men do within society. So we can bully women and they have no sort of recourse. Whereas men, you know, they, they have the power. And there's a weird geist to make people think that, oh yeah, women do have power. And you know, like we're all about feminism and stuff when it's like, does it actually exist? <laughs> okay, moving on to our fourth image. What was going on in this moment? I love Woo! this dress. Yes, that is a Giles Deacon dress, um, which is the decapitated Bambi print that he did. Yes, that was um fun night at the Glamour Awards. I think 2008, I want to say. Um, and I've, you know, got myself into a bit of a pickle that night and got very inebriated and ended up having to be carried over some railings and put into a car by security. And it was very messy, but the pictures are very funny. There's pictures of me, like, unconscious, being held by security guards, clutching my glamour award for women. Priorities first. <laughs> yeah. Love oh, it. Dear. So, author singer-songwriter, interior designer, which moves me on to the next picture, mm. which is of... That is a picture um, that was taken for Architectural Digest at the end of last year of me and my husband, David Harbour, in our beautiful Brooklyn townhouse. I love it. Like, what's that? How did, I mean, you've always had a love of interiors, right? Yes. You really enjoy it. What made you think, okay... This is going to be my new thing I'm going to do because you're very good at it. I mean, you're very good at everything that you do, to be honest. You have the mildest touch, but how long did it take? Where did the inspiration come from? Our house took... The carpeted bathroom. Mm. Our house took two years to renovate. Um, and it is in a very <clears throat> Italian neighborhood, our neighborhood in um, Cow Gardens. And so that was our sort of reference point really was like, the Godfather, um, uh, like sort of, you know, old um, Italian extravagance. Um, and yeah, we just went with it. And then sort of, you know, colors, colorful. I like clashing prints, prints on prints on prints. I know that you hate that, but- um, I don't mind it interior wise. I love the print, on but on clothes. <laughs> See, I quite like it, print on print. I don't know, we just, yeah, we just went with it. We just had fun and did what we wanted to do. and. Um, I think people can be really precious about their homes. And I think because it's an asset, a house, so people, 
want to, you know, they're made big investment on this thing and they want it, you know, the whole point of it is that it's a nest egg and that if you need to, you sell it or, you know, trade up or trade down or whatever it is. And so you try and build something that will appeal to, you know, a second, other people when you come to sell. But we didn't approach it like that. You know, we want that to be our home and somewhere that we want to enjoy spending our time. We didn't want to think of it as an asset and something that we're going to sell further down the line. So, yeah, that was the kind of thought process behind it. <laughs> Do something that absolutely nobody else will want to live in. <laughs> we have no reason to sell it. And now, how do you find living in the States now? Obviously, being such a, a Londoner, mm. to then move to Brooklyn and, you know, pick up sticks and go. How are you? How did you find it? Um, I mean, it wasn't... It's not been that hard. I mean, I've I've... I've really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, it's so easy to get back here now. I mean, I do, I enjoy the anonymity that I have there and the like normal life that I have. And I enjoy it for my kids as well. You know, like I, I'm a, I'm a mom primarily and I get up in the morning and I drop my kids off at school. I used to make pet lunches, although this September I don't have to do that anymore because they're going to middle school and they have lunch there. Um, sorry, that's a big landmark for me is that not having to do pet lunches. Love. Um, so yeah, and I do that and then, you know, I work for a couple of hours, I might write or like work on a character or read some scripts or, um, and then I go to the gym and then I pick up the kids and make them dinner and that's my existence over there. Uh, and I, and I, and I really enjoy it, you know, and then sometimes I get a bit like, you know, oh, my ego needs to be stroked and I jump on a plane, come back to London. <laughs> spend a couple of weeks here and then I go bored now and go home yeah well let's talk about the girls because I absolutely had done like like I always tell you like Ethel's my best mate I think she's amazing Marnie I'm yet to for her to warm up to me but you know you've raised two amazing girls like their personalities are second to none they're literally hilarious like how do you find how did you find balancing career and being a mum I I found it impossible. I found that uh, not only did was it hard in terms of time management, but I found that the especially in the music industry, they didn't want to touch me with barge pole. It's like you're not a sex object anymore. Not that I ever really was a sex object, but you know what I mean. It's like we can't market you as being a sort of girl next door available person because everyone knows that you've had a child. A human being has come out of that vagina. We don't want <laughs> to hear you on the radio anymore. Um, so yeah, it was hard. It was it was now and impossible, and I really struggled with it. And there's not really that much else to say about it. It just is what it is. I could sort of fluff it up and say, you know, I overcame it, but I don't think I ever did. You know, it completely knocked my career sideways having kids. Like I said a minute ago, like anything you decide to do, you smash anyway. So mm. it's kind of like I don't think you did let it deflate. I mean, I in, in an another... ideal world, though, you know, my record company at the time would have been helping me out with childcare and figuring out a way of like structuring a tour that was suitable to having young children. And people would have been very mindful of all of that stuff. And but it just wasn't like that. It was like, bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> yeah. All right. That moves us on to my final image. So she's an actress now, you know, you've done 222, yeah. which is Olivia nominated, may I just add. You then did Dreamlands, mm -hmm. now doing The Pillow Man. Yeah. So this is my final image. Ooh, styled by Kyle. Styled Kyle. 
stylistically speaking. Um, yes, that is, how do we pronounce it? Magda Bertram. Magda Bertram. Bertram, Magda Bertram. I loved that look. It's a floral hooded. Floral, floor gown. length, back length, hooded, um, appliqued. Yeah. Uh, also, see, that was a print for me. Yeah, I know. It's not very on brand for you. <laughs> um, I loved that look. It Same. was really fun. And that's what fashion should be, isn't it? Exactly. Like, it's there to have fun. Having a laugh, really. For sure. So, how is the Pillow Man? I mean, the role, I've seen it twice. I'm seeing it again on Saturday. Not meant to tell me. Oh, sorry. But I mean, you know, I've seen it already, anyways. I mean, I watch it every day pretty much, but. Um, how are you finding it? I mean, it's 20, de- it's 20 more shows to go. And I feel feel excited about it finishing. It's been amazing experience and I've loved it. And I'm kind of like in a routine with it now. Like there was definitely a period where I was just like, oh God, do I have to get up there and do that thing? But now it's just sort of like second nature. It's like in my bones. It's been great. It's a really tough play. It's a really harrowing play. And it's really hardcore and sick and twisted and polarizing and interesting. You know, it's been it's been really interesting seeing how the different audiences react to it. You know, because one night people will be laughing at everything. And the next night they're not laughing at anything. But that doesn't mean that they're not engaged. They're just engaging with it in a completely different way. And that to me is really fascinating. It's a great sort of like a human case study in lots of ways because... Um, you know, there are some lines in it that some people find hilarious and other people are horrified at. And so in terms of like what we were talking about earlier with the cancel culture and stuff, it's really interesting to see how uh, one person's laughter can affect another person's laughter Mm. and how silence in one part of the theatre can influence silence in the other part of the theatre. It's funny how like people pull back or react depending on what's happening around them. Um, and because, you know, you, you would only realise what's happening the night that you come to see it. But I've seen, you know, will have at the end of the run, seen done it nearly a hundred times. So exactly. it's really, um, it's really interesting to see how, how different people respond to different things. I mean, you're killing it. It's amazing. Thanks so much, babe. I think what was the quote that you gave me? You were like, 222 is a Mr. Men's book and this is the Bible, yeah. script-wise, because it is, like, so much. And you're constantly on stage the whole time of the yeah. play. I mean, apart from the interval, yeah. you're on stage the f- whole time compared to the rest of the cast. Yeah. How, obviously, you're four years sober now. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. Like me, you are a pioneer for therapy. Mm-hmm. Do, you th- do you think that now where you are in your life is your most comfortable? Would you say, do you feel like you know yourself the most, more than you ever have before? Yes and no. I mean, the thing about drugs and alcohol is you're pretty convinced of yourself and your brilliance <laughs> in sure. those moments. So I don't know if I, I, mean, I think I've definitely felt more me because the, it, but it hasn't been the real me. It's been, you know, induced um, or self-medicated in that way. But now, yeah, I, feel, I just feel more level, you know? Um, and I feel more calm. I don't feel. Uh, I don't feel like I have as much to prove these days. So what's next for Miss Allen? What's in the pipeline? You know, I mean, I've got a, um, got an audition after this with a drama school in New York. So I'm hoping I get into that course and I can go and study for a little bit. 
um, you know, music. I do owe BMG an album, <laughs> so I should probably <laughs> do that at some point. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't really, I've never really had like long-term plans, you know, apart from like, you know, wanting to have children. Um, and, um, yeah, I think that I just take each project as it comes really. And I've been very, very lucky up until, you know, this point in my life where opportunities seem to sort of just land in my, you know, my road lap. Yes, exactly. And so I decide whether or not to take things on, whether they'll sort of get me going. And if it gets me excited, then, you know, I'll do it. I'd, I don't know. I mean, the idea of going to drama school excites me. I don't... I don't I, it depends what what comes my way. <laughs> and it's so crazy to me that you don't plan anything because your career is just so well executed. I think yeah. it's really confused. <laughs> no, no. Honestly, it's... I honestly, no, I think you're amazing. I think you're an amazing mother. I think you're an amazing woman. And you're a brilliant actress. Yay. Um. So that brings me to the end question of our session. Okay. Lily Allen. Who are you dressing for? Hmm. Who am I dressing for? The Paps. <laughs> <laughs> for the shot, honey, for the shot. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really. I'm dressing. Um, I'm, I mean, just surely everyone says they're dressing for themselves. You'd Isn't that surprised. what they say? You'd be surprised. No, I dress for myself. I think you always have, to yeah, be honest. I've never dressed one. for anyone else. So I Lily can't Ann even imagine dressing that. for herself. Yeah, I can't believe that people would say anything else. <laughs> <laughs> the headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over 3 million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not ready hour foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com